Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Today, we've got Aaron Bossett. He is founder and CEO of Axum. Aaron, thanks for being on The Talking Hedge. Man, thanks for having me, Josh. Appreciate you uh, inviting me on. Yeah, appreciate it. We're going to talk about some uh, kind of some, some stuff that you're involved with. But before we get into the Washington State Liquor Cannabis Board or whatever else this conversation morphs into e-commerce and all kinds of other uh, important topics, I would say. Uh, first off, just tell us about yourself, how you got involved into the cannabis space, maybe what Axiom is, all that good stuff. Cool, 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 man. Well, first things first, again, thanks for having me. Appreciate it a lot. Um, shoot, let me see. Let me just start at the beginning. Uh, name's Aaron Bossett, uh, born and raised, Seattle native. Um, went to elementary middle school high school in seattle went to washington state university like a true unicorn like full-on seattle um from here grown here right like those people don't exist i'm actually one of them <laughs> it's a rare a rare thing right and part of all seattle's culture was cannabis like way back in the day was a big you know blue collar community um our city that would ebb and flow construction work you know fisheries warehousing and all the big things back in the day to subsidize income a lot of people grew and sell weed around here so you could sell dollar joints they would call them lids you could buy weed in matchboxes you could go to certain corner stores and get it um and so i just kind of always grew up around it was never like the big weed pusher this guy no but I always was around good cannabis my whole life like to me, it was just normal. Um, I really, I remember early in life one time sitting there as Nancy Reagan was just saying, just trying to tell us to say no and we're in a trim party. And I'm like, you know what? All these people are cool. You can't tell me these are bad people. Like, <laughs> so <clears throat> I grew up in it and then I watched it go from this illicit market to the medical market. And then that's kind of when I hopped in back in like 2008, 2009 when medical was taken off. Um, and kind of just saw a niche market, saw like, holy crap, there's this thing that's about to go legal, but my guys, black men are not getting involved. So it was like, I started getting involved more on the social equity side. I was approached by actually Tanya Winchester, um, who was part of the 502 bill. And her question to me was, where's the black people? And I was like, look, I don't support this bill because it doesn't address the war on drugs. It doesn't address anything um, to help you know, victims of the war on drugs now become an entrepreneur or an enterprise inside of a legal industry that was once illegal. That was 2012 when we had that conversation. In 2021, we still have nothing. There's no pathway, right? So I've been involved in, on the backside, um, I never really wanted a cannabis license. I was more into like the capital fundraising side, the data side, uh, understanding that branding is going to be key volume. It's a volume industry, not just a because I sell good weed industry. I understood that a long time ago. And I got involved with a bunch of different projects um, with, you know, big projects, South Africa, Jamaica, um, down in Florida and Orlando, they were going to try to go legal. I did some stuff in Frisco. I'm working with a social equity, equity group down in San Diego right now, who actually, they have a very good social equity plan about to pop off to everybody. Very good plan. Um, and then that led me all of those adventures led me back to the state of washington to say that you know why haven't we addressed this yet why where's what's the issue why is there an issue how come we can't address this and then still to this day uh the lcb has done nothing so i ended up standing in this lane of social equity um kind of by accident not by choice um just kind of natural organic pathways conversations being in the industry early 
um, meeting Tanya Winchester early after, right after they wrote the 502 law, having these conversations led me into this path of social equity. And lead, walking down that path of social equity also leads you into a whole lot of other things, right? So it taught me one, politics. Like, yo, I don't think civics, civics actually needs to be taught in school. Like I'm a firm believer of that now because I was in my 40s before I truly understood how politics worked. Like you get you get the base level of it, right? So legal weed led me into politics, which led me into data analytics, which led me into understanding all these different business structures and cooperative ownerships and you know all these big things that society needs. And then <clears throat> for me, it was I got to a point in 2019 when they created what they call the House Bill 2870, whatever the social equity bill was that they passed in 2019 or 2020 that they had the task force this year is just like, you know, I kind of just washed my hands and was like, this isn't going anywhere. It's, it's going to be, it's just another mess. It's just another blockade. It's just another way for the people who created the mess to never be held accountable or never even want to be or reconcile what they have done wrong. And you see this fight, you see these fights and you see these struggles and you know, if you come from the illicit market like I did into which now became a tax market, the illicit market was way more truthful and honest because honest, an, an honesty and untruthfulness would get you killed. But in the legal industry, it's backstabbing, it's, it's all these things. And you realize how in politics that plays out because there's a lot of people greasing pockets and being in positions to stay in positions of power versus trying to actually create a real industry. It's a weird thing um, coming from my perspective, right? From the from the social equity side of things. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's led me into what I believe is the true creation of a social equity plan for the state of Washington. And it has to do with like e-commerce, it has to do with data, it has to do with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, not Bitcoin in general, but just cryptocurrencies, blockchain contracts, um, small scale farmers, um, farmers markets, consumers, delivery. And pretty much there's a couple of people in the state of Washington who are just delivered the building it and doing it themselves. And it's a small, it's a small scale and a small test market, but they had no choice but to do it. And then I mean it's obvious you need to wait, wait. get to that point eventually, right? Because there's there's this lack of progress. And I feel you on getting to the point where you draft a bill, you find support, and then it goes nowhere. You know, I, I wrote a bill for um, overturning that felony on consumption lounges to get cannabis mm -hmm. cafes and then you you spend the time to write it and then you submit it and then you get senators and house reps involved and then all of a sudden it goes nowhere because it's not a priority you know the pandemic hits or whatever else that gets it shoved right. on the side and then you're like well you know what forget it i'm just going to have my own i'm going to do pop-ups i'm going to do what i need to do um mm -hmm. at this point where you're like i'm, I'm over it um so i when I was researching all of those bills for consumption, a lot of those places had um, social equity bills written in, like Illinois, but right. you have zero <clears throat> social equity licenses and a, a, something like $100 million in revenue from a billion dollars in, in sales and no equity licenses. And all the while, you have a conviction over in Massachusetts from the mayor or governor, no, mayor, I think, who... Um, was selling licenses for $250,000 to whoever could afford it. Right, so yeah. You have this corruption, you have this um, systemic issue where nobody wants to move forward with it. They talk a big game about social equity. And so at some point you, I don't know how you get them to make it a priority, 
but it sounds to me like you're just moving forward without them. Yeah, I mean, it really comes to a point where one, they can't even define what social equity is, right? Like if you understand the coded language of our policy system, right? You cannot, the war on drugs, we, we have documentation, we have all these things that said who the target of the war on drugs was, black men. This is, we don't have to come up with conspiracy theories, we can go dig the files out, we can do this. But yet we cannot use the terminology black men in social equity because you can't use race as a determination for who benefits from things. Mm -hmm. So now you're stuck in this conundrum of you have people who come from a non-law non and policy background trying to create a policy word with jurisprudence for law and it makes no sense. And then they sit back and go, well, if you can't fix it, we can't do nothing for you. And then they can't define social equity either in understanding that social simply means everyone and equity means ownership. So why is there not pathways to ownership, not just creating good workers, right? The slaves participated in the building of America too, right? Like they never got the benefit. So why, what's the pathway just to getting black people into a cannabis industry, but not creating owners, right? And I think when you start talking on those levels, it puts a lot of people in defense versus them taking the, taking the stance of, you know what, let me take the stance to learn. Right. And then you get these power players and this greed and this corruption and these egos and all these other things. placed. <clears throat> and one thing that I've never spoke about me personally, I've only spoke about community because it represents so many different people. Right. And I think a lot of people, especially in the state of Washington, a lot of people don't want to hear this, but Washington has got to be. And by far, if you talk to the black community in the state of Washington, will tell you it's one of the most racist states in all of America because they act like it's not. They tell you that it's not, oh, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not this, it's not that, it's not you, it's you, it's you, it's you. And it's like, I don't know, man, you know, Washington would lynch black people through policy over and over and over and over again. And it comes to a point where like, you know what, how many times do we gotta get punched in the face as a community? How many times do we gotta keep going back? How many times? And it just comes to a position where it's like, you know, this is the most technologically advanced city in the world. We have Amazon, we have Microsoft, we have access to tech, we have legal cannabis. Why are the two not being married? So you start marrying those two and under in, you know, in backroom situations and meeting at cafes and understanding how you can create a community infrastructure and cannabis that yes, it is illegal, but through tech, the people have no choice but to do it. So they're kind of protecting themselves in other ways, you know, small scale farms, so on and so forth. And it's an unfortunate situation that if the state would want to work with people who are coming up with these kind of solutions on their own, imagine what the entire cannabis industry could be. Well, as a black man, you're being gaslit by the, the folks, the representatives in Washington state. And so maybe the, the people in King County, you know, Seattle, greater area and all of Washington, um, you know, kind of believe what, what they're hearing and reading rather than really trying to go to the, the root cause. So maybe we just give the folks uh, an, a perfect example of the disparity, the, the missed opportunities, the corruption and uh, advantage you know, that people get taken advantage of even right now. High times has yeah. in California, there was an issue with a social equity applicant um, down in California and it, it involved a high times when really it was a Washington state um, have a heart that have a heart, have a heart yeah. sold that license to high times. And yet, so what happened was there was a social equity applicant and the folks over at, at have a heart uh, went to one of these social equity applicants and bought them out. And right. it was, I, th I believe it was two black men and one of them didn't even know about what was happening. The other one yeah, not at all. took the money and ran. 
Yeah, so yeah. even with the social equity applicants, if people say, oh, we have social equity, well, do you? Have you followed through? Do you really know what's happening? How many licenses yeah. are being issued? And if they're being sold unfairly? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's all those things, right? I think New Leaf in Portland probably has the best program, but it's so such a small scale. It's like 3% of, or whatever percentage of sales within the city of Portland goes back to cannabis, Black-owned cannabis businesses, uh, incubator fund, like to get businesses started, right? <clears throat> and one of the big things about that is when you talk about have a part is one of the people who did that sits on the social equity board task force for the state of Washington. Mm. And when you call these things out, you get called the villain by saying, hey, look, this man went to Oakland, screamed social equity, but then took advantage of two disadvantaged people under the guise of social equity to get himself a license. How can he sit on the board as the social equity task force for the state of Washington, which is an 18 seat panel, but it has no black men. Raph, Raph Hollinsworth is the only one, right? And he's so busy working, he is not accountable to the community or can relay information to the community because he's struggling as a black cannabis farmer in the state of Washington. So to put that burden on him to say that he is now the face of task force, because we have one black man on an 18 seat task force, but yet you have have a heart, you have what two GOP members that were already are anti everything we're doing mm. um, and just being blockades to it. So when you start talking about social equity and the policy side in the state of Washington, it'll never happen. Not from a policy perspective. And it's not going to happen until the people on the streets, the people on the ground, the people who need it, the, the, the medical patients who need it, right? The, the Black folks who want in, the natives who were locked out, the Mexicans who were locked out, or Spanish-speaking people that were locked out, right? In Eastern Washington, who were also high victims of the war on drugs, right? Who were almost forgot about in all of the conversation. And being a Black man in this situation, you have to be cognizant of all these different people that need in. And you can protect these social life equity licenses by creating true community licenses. I'm big on like branding and licensing at this point. I don't think a store is a pathway. I don't think all these other things. I think if you take the community, if you think about like a Coca-Cola plant, they produce 300 different bottles out of one plant. You could do that same thing with cannabis facilities, right? Use those, make them co-opt owned, meaning the owners, the workers of the facilities are just pumping out different brands that they don't own. The facility is just a facility to process. And then you also use those brands outside of, and this is where the LCB can, they're going to really love me for this one is that, I've already started getting out of state money. We have an equity fund or we have a, a capital fund that we're getting money to create branded uh, black brands because we're only the branding company. So we just have licensing agreements with these processing facilities. We no longer need 502 or the LCB's approval to do anything. We didn't need it before, but we tried to work with them and it, it's just not gonna happen. So now we have a couple of contracts going in place with a bunch of processors to get black brands on shelves. And, and we have sell through other shows. Is it is it a timing issue? Is it a lack of resources? Is it not a priority? What is your opinion on why they didn't want to get involved when you were trying to initiate and get this started? Oh man, you know, I think Washington has a true deep history of racism that they don't want to admit it, it exists and they don't ever want to admit it exists. It's easier to say that it's not it's not me, it's you, right? Versus yes, we set up redlined redlined communities that only black people could live in, they couldn't live out. And then we targeted those communities with drugs and, and uh, high police rates. And so you have high rate crime numbers in communities simply because of targeted policy, right? You now move, this was back in the 70s and the 80s and the 60s. Now you fast forward to the 2000s. And now you have these people who sit in these policy positions who don't want to take accountability for bad policy and just create more bad policy. 
They don't say, you know what, that was a fucked up racial thing. They go, no, it wasn't racism. No, it wasn't this. No, it wasn't that. They'll say everything but what it was and walk away from it. They do not want to ever, ever, ever say, we fucked up and how we set this up. How can we help get you in? Nobody. There's not, I mean, you have a licensing agency that created an 18C passport to tell a licensing agency how to give out licenses. Somebody make that make sense. Mm-hmm. Your whole job is you have a salary paid position to give out licenses, but you created an 18 seat panel of volunteers. Come on, man. You don't want to address this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're looking at um, branding and quality, or is it branding versus quality? You know, that I always said, which is kind of controversial, that branding in the cannabis space is not a thing yet because people are just looking at what's the highest THC at the lowest price point. Yep. Traditionally, right. people are looking at price and convenience, and that's how they make their purchasing decisions. And also, then there's a commercial, and they're like, oh, okay, I relate to that. But I think that's mm-hmm. a very, very mature market where you can see a brand, see a commercial, and then relate to it and then want to buy it. Where where are you at with cannabis and, and the commodity itself? Is it more about the quality or branding? And is that where you're going with Black cannabis and taking uh, out-of-state funding to to facilitate that drive yeah absolutely i think that like you just said i think one when the industry started it was more about what's the thc level can i get high all this hippie stay to it mentality right we didn't move past that and i think we've now matured and i think the biggest thing that cannabis is missing in 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 all across the nation is the storytelling piece the experience right it's one thing to say you have the best weed, but prove it because what's one person was good to one is what's good, not that good to the other. Nobody's doing the storytelling. Nobody's doing actually branding. And then they're not taking the time to use different avenues to brand and get the story of their brand out there, right? It's we sell weed, we sell weed, we sell weed. I think Burner's probably doing a good job with cookies, but past cookies, I mean, and that's just a man, brand. I think there's ways that you can tell stories and sell experiences like what's the black woman's experience with cannabis we haven't heard that yet we don't know how a black woman likes to kick back at the in the end of the day with her friends and smoke some tree and talk about how life is affecting them right we haven't seen any of that type of marketing we haven't seen any of those type of materials we haven't seen any of those type of experiences or stories told in cannabis it's really been a lopsided story so i believe that in black cannabis almost like everything else, rap, hip hop, everything. I remember when rap music wasn't played, but you can turn on uh, a, a Mercedes-Benz commercial now and rap music's being played, right? Like, so I think that you're also looking in that the cannabis industry is stale, stale, stale because of these lack of opportunities for so many different people to get in. It's really been about the rich. And I, don't, I think that's a real classist system versus a racist system. I think it all plays together. But I think black cannabis in itself tells a different story than cannabis has seen. And I think through social media avenues, there's no way that the the influence of those stories being told won't be felt by the people that that need to feel it. Black women, black men, black community, you know, in you know, harmful people, BIPOC, LGBTQ, all these different things, right? The WTF, all these different, you know, pronouns and people. Those stories have to be told for them too, not just hey, it's young, get high, smoke weed, almost like Marlboro branding. Like that's kind of where cannabis is now, this real stale generic branding. And I think you start seeing more storytelling, you start seeing a better a better understanding of cannabis from the, the consumer side. Like what is good weed? What does is, what is high THC mean? What is those things? And I think those storytellings from these different people will help mature the entire industry quickly too, I believe. 
Yeah, we'll see a combination of, you know, stupid marketing. I mean, I can't believe to this day we're still seeing a lawsuit from Skittles suing Ziskittles or however you say it. Yeah. I mean, that was funny in 2015 when you were ripping off Hershey's, but already lawsuits. So, I mean, that's ridiculous that you would even do that, Um, you know, but uh, I don't know. I digress. Um, Yeah. Social equity, you brought, you brought up San Diego and that was a good model. I'm curious yeah. why. Um, so I've, I've been working with this group out of San Diego and um, I've worked with a bunch of different groups. I worked briefly with a group out of Chicago. I worked with people out of Portland, San, uh, San Francisco, Oakland, Orlando, New York, Philly, and these, uh, these in New Jersey. And it was just getting things going. There's something about this group in San Diego that is amazing that I haven't seen before is the way that they have a connection with the policy, the policy uh, makers, right? So their their county, the San Diego Board County Commissioners is leaning on them to say, hey, look, you guys give us the plan. You tell us what's the best thing. Don't let us tell you. And then they're working hand in hand, which you don't see anywhere. You see the San Diego City Council working with the social equity groups to develop the plan. And what San Diego is doing is getting a community-based idea for what's best and what works best for them, right? Um, you have transportation barriers, you have the same things everywhere that don't get played into these social equity plans. And the way that this, uh, it's paving great futures is building the social equity plan and they have buy-in with the San Diego County commissioners, they have buy-in with the city council. So they have a really good solid base of people from organizational on the ground all the way up to the policy. And that's something you haven't seen before. Um, and there's big power, you know, there's attorneys involved that can come up with the words for jurisprudence, right? Versus a guy like me saying, hey, do it, right? Like, yeah. so it's a, it's a wonderful thing to watch, like how they're actually maneuvering. They've gone around and they've gotten um, some of the best social equity thing, because there were some very good things that came out of the LA social equity plan and some very bad things. There were some good things that came out of the Oakland one, the Richmond, Sacramento. And what they've done is gone and find all the good and talk to the power players in all of those social equity plans. And they've used, they're using that collective IP to design this plan in San Diego, which looks like it'll be real community-based um, and almost, uh, it'll, I, we haven't worked through the rest, but it's gonna be real community-based ownership uh, type models. It's actually really cool. It's Funding nice. will come from other things. I was going to say, it's nice to have it from the top, from the top down, from regulators helping. But like you mentioned earlier on, it also needs to come from the community. And when you have, Mm -hmm. you know, individuals that are just wanting to uh, take advantage of other people, uh, rich people squashing anybody they can, you know, there was an example recently of Burner, you know, uh, his cookies brand, Mm -hmm. Oregon, taking advantage of Jesse Horton. Uh, yeah. Another black farmer, uh, basically yeah. taking, taking uh, his Jesse Horton strain and changing the name on it. Uh, and it was a rare cultivar. It took Jesse two years to find that. And then mm-hmm. just changed the name, didn't even tell him, didn't pay for it. And then, you know, had still had his company on there loud. So he's like, what, where's my money? What happened to the strain? All this stuff. So um, good on burner after, you know, thousands of people were bashing him in corporate, you know, call him corporate cannabis and this and that. So Burner actually reached out, I think, personally to Jesse and and they're going to squash that and hopefully take those proceeds and and set up something for black farmers in Portland as well. Um, But like, you know, it's got to come from top down and bottom up. uh, Otherwise, it's not going to work. 
Yeah, it's just not. And I think too, I think one thing, big thing for me is being being involved in this since 2009, looking at all these different models from that haven't worked. Like you said, everybody's used the word but haven't passed it. As of the one big thing is I don't think top up, the top down doesn't understand how traumatized the bottom is, right? And how, how hard it is to bring a group of people together that are still in the state of Washington, 80% of all cannabis arrest, like, which is mind blowing. Like we've pulled, we've pulled numbers and I've been showed numbers from other people who are tracking. There was seven arrests or 15 arrests of black men for growing with less than 15 plants that can result in felonies. But there was a hundred arrests of white growers with a hundred plants or more wow. that resulted in nothing. Wow. So, you know, it's like, yo, we gotta, we gotta stop the top downs, gotta stop this constant pressure on the bottom to say, hey, you can get in, but then they still got their guns pointed at them at the same time. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, man, so that's gotta, you know, push out a, a lot more. Um, it's gonna create, <laughs> it's basically gonna squeeze out a lot of ideas, right? So you've got mm -hmm. an idea of e-commerce. When you get pushed down and you kind of have this rubber band effect, um, when you kind of have to back up so much, I know for me with the cafes, I just did pop-ups. I was like, you know what, I, this is, this is what did uh, Thomas Jefferson say? If there's a, a law that's not only unjust, it's it's um, not only your your obligation to disobey, but your duty to do so. Something to yeah. that effect, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that's just yeah. how I felt. But that was white privilege on my part, being able to run out and just do what I wanted to do. I wasn't even worried about getting arrested. And to this right, day, right. I look forward to a twenty-seven dollars smoking in public ticket, so I can laminate it, and put it on my fridge. I don't have to worry about <laughs> felonies, you know. So, yeah. somebody like yourself is coming up against the same issues, and you're tired of it. You want to move forward, and you've kind of created this e-commerce platform that you've got some some huevos, my friends, because you know, after the Silk Road thing and, and whatever else, um, that's pretty ballsy, but- We don't have a choice though. I mean, that's kind of where it gets to, right? I mean, you have the LCB and then, you know, a lot of people got upset because of, of whatever reason, I don't really care anymore, is that you have the LCB who, who sits there and stands on this position of social equity, right? And says they want to do this. But at the same time, what people don't understand is that just a couple of weeks ago, there was a raid in the state of Washington where 40 black men were arrested, 40 black men only, no Asians, no white men, no women, no Spanish speaking people, nobody of any other descent. And it all broke down to cannabis. But if you look at the media press release that came from SBD, they'll tell you that it was drugs and all these other things, dangerous criminals. And it's like, hold on, wait a minute. The LCB's role in that one day when I called it out was we don't have nothing to do with it to the next day saying, yeah, we are involved to the next day saying, yeah, we busted three processors or two processors that were involved in it. But yet we don't know the name of those processors. We don't know who was busted, but 40 black men were targeted and arrested for basically weed, but then it's all massed through guns and drugs in this. These men were all over 40. There's not that many 40 year old gang members. Mm. Right. And so you look at these press releases and these are what's happening real time right now. And when the LCB gets held accountable, what does Ollie do? Claim victim and says she doesn't like the pressure. Right. But Ollie, you're sitting there as a human being who claims to care about a community you have no accountability to. When you're told she's going to be held accountable, she goes running to the same people who victimize the community. She doesn't come to the community to say, hey, what do we need to do? What do we need to stop? Right. So from the top down, this social equity thing and the LCB's role is very predatory against the Black community. So we had no choice. 
I'm willing to take those charges. I'm willing to go to prison for my community because we have no choice. And all we want to do is pay our taxes and make legal money. But because of the oppressive system that's set up, there's zero pathways in, none. So it's a fucked up thing, right? And, the, the, you know, you got Washington State Patrol still checking uh, money for legal weed, but that legal weed money should be coming to the Black community in form of education, in business incubator programs, all kind of different things. But the police force is getting legal weed money to enforce weed laws in a legal weed state against Black people only. But the LCB doesn't want to talk about that. So, I mean, we didn't have a choice. And it's just one of those things. It's a fucked up situation to have to be in and live. And it's not fun to have to live in that way. But at the end of the day, man, people need to eat. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that's stopping them is a piece of paper that the state of Washington can give them. Nothing else. It's not a big thing. It's like there's this whole industry you have existing, but you have this whole other community from the medical side to the Black community that need in. And they just can't get in. Patients can't get medicine. People can't grow to get patients medicine. Black people can't do anything to get in, but then other than be consumers or security guards. Right. So tell me about your, your solution. Oh man, my solution is simple. It's we have created basically ghost businesses and ghost, you know, ghost things where if you get into the network, you, there's a simple little menu that there's a and that's just the ordering pieces. So there's a simple little menu of people that people can order. There's flour, there's pre-rolls, things like that. You have a, just like you said, a pop-up cafe that kind of rotates around that if you're in the network, you get to know about. Um, there's people that are using, um, because they're in it, they're using the pop-up models and this and that and bouncing around for the edible brands. We've got a lot of edible brands going, um, coming out of the black community that are phenomenal. People cooking amazing shit, like crazy stuff you haven't seen before in the cannabis space. You have, um, uh, like the art and creative space, right? So a lot of the, the, the black creators are holding art events, but using cannabis as a as a meta, as a way to you know sell their flowers at these art events. There's um basically small scale farmers markets, four or five people, and it's just people doing these small little mom and pop things that survive just enough to make enough money to pay bills for the end of the year, right, or the end of the month. Um, and my solution is right now on the, that's the illicit side, but but on the legal side, we're creating cannabis brands. And we're just getting contracts signed with processors to start putting brands on shelves in selected areas too. It's not like we're just going to use that. We're also going to use data and tech to figure out what is the best brands for sale through and not just create brands off of feel and emotions. Like here's the actual products. I mean, that, that are actually selling and moving and, you know, not just, Hey, this sounds like a good idea. So it's, it's a very multi-pronged approach because I also have a big bike club that we're doing. We have a bookstore, we have a coffee shop and none of those have to do with the cannabis, but they're just business creation job creation opportunities for people mm -hmm. um you know outside of it and then part of my goal is once these brands get going and even if they're only right now i'm looking at each brand as about four people um because the processor takes on most of the work the delivery the, the thing this really just creating the marketing the branding and, and the the other parts so that's a small scale and if you get four or five people those create that's those are my plan is 10 businesses that are owned by four people that creates 40 new owners by the end of the year in the cannabis space that didn't exist prior. That's awesome. And yeah. some of the issues that you might come up against, you mentioned the LCB not not enjoying the out-of-state uh, capital. And the reason behind that is we have one of the more strict laws on out-of-state yeah. capital that limits a company's ownership to 10% uh, yeah. from out-of-state. So um, sounds like you're just kind of 
going with from a branding standpoint and and yeah. sort of working your way around that yeah yeah you were just doing licensing agreements i mean if there's no there's the washington state laws of licensing and our brand licensing is completely different so we're not touching cannabis so we're just a branding company mm -hmm. yeah um random question why is the best smelling cannabis in all of washington state on third avenue right across the street from the courthouse <laughs> a multitude of things right you want to talk yeah, about like not nah, you're there yeah. every single time every hey yo yo i say it i'll say it to this day illicit weed well i don't call it illicit but the illegal weed non-legal weed is still the best weed it is cared for it is grown different they don't they're not into rushing a product out just to try to make money there's actually a care so the street, the weed, the, the street on the weeds, the, excuse me, the weed on the street is actually really good. <laughs> I don't want to be like that white guy walking up to a crowd of, of older black men and just being like, hey, this smells, this smells like fire. Can I buy a joint or something? Like yeah. But I want to know where they're getting it from because it's uh, really good stuff. So um, if anyone yeah, yeah. knows those folks, let me know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll give you the number. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm interested in in what you've got going on. I'm I'm supporting it. I'm, you know, frustrated as you are. And so, if there's anybody that would like to support you, who would like to uh, learn some more, is there any um, social media links or or anything that you want to to have to include right now to to throw out there as well as I'll put that in the description in the show notes. Um, you know, honestly, I'm in a position where the only support that I could use right now is just putting pressure on your policymakers to say cut the fucking shit like open up pathways get rid of these task force that create six years of blockades it doesn't take a licensing agency to create a task force to tell them how to give out licenses that is mind-blowing the support that the black community needs is not on social media it's real life right so i've kind of fallen away from the social media and this and that and that because you get a lot of empty talking you get a lot of signs in the front yard that say Black Lives Matter, but then, you know, like calls on the police because a black guy walking down the street type shit. Um, and it's like, the support we need is more capital intensive to want to be able to do some things that are radically different. They're not going to be traditional. Hey, can we take an intern or can I hire a security guard or do, can I get a bud tender? No, 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 no. We need capital. We need people who are willing to do radically different shit. So. I mean, to reach me, just, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Messenger, whatever. Um, you can email me, mrbossett at gmail.com um, for those personal, more intimate conversations versus the social media posts. Or, hey, I, I saw you and I want to do something to help because it feels good to you. But then when we start telling you the radically different things we need you to do, you get panicked, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's I'm in a situation where I'm in a position where I'm just kind of like done with help. I don't know if that makes sense. And I appreciate everybody's support, but I think our support needs to come from more of, of telling these policymakers to just fucking chill because the amount of money that they're being that's being spent on still enforcing a legal law on a certain demographic of people, which they say is not racial, but we can tell it's racial through data, which is another story, right? It's the policymakers that need to stop with this bullshit. Mm -hmm. Stop funding the police stop giving the police power, start holding the police accountable. They have the burden of professionalism that they don't ever seem to be held accountable to, right? And start using that funding to create pathways into not just the cannabis space, 
but business in general. How many ancillary businesses of the cannabis industry need to be created? Lean on your policymakers to cut this shit out. Yeah. Listen. In the digital age, you guys, it's so easy right now. Goodness God, hammer them. Hammer your policymakers right now. Yeah, easy to do. Uh, yeah, more action, you know, more soldiers getting some work done, a lot less, um, you know, lip service. So, and, and money. <laughs> so send some money. Um, yeah. <laughs> Bitcoin or, or whatever else. Some, send some crypto. Um, yeah, send some doggy coins, send some Ethereum. We'll take it all. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm big on that. If you guys really wanted to, if people want to, you know, put up, we could create some solar uh, Bitcoin mines, but that's another story. Right. <laughs> all right. Another story for another day. Um, yeah, man. On the talking hedge. With that, I think we're going to roll this one up. I want to thank my guest, Aaron Bossett. He's the founder, CEO of Axum, and uh, obviously advocate and uh, just uh, a hardworking man overall. So appreciate you being on the talking hedge. Yeah, I appreciate letting you rub my liver lips all morning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. <laughs>